This is the Digital Collective Podcast, where we ask the interesting questions about being a charity in the internet age. The Digital Collective Podcast is sponsored by Hubbub Fundraising. Follow the Digital Collective online at digitalcollective.org.uk. The Digital Collective Podcast is presented by Martin Francis Campbell. Hello and welcome to the Digital Collective Podcast, where we ask the interesting questions about being a charity in the digital age. I'm your host, Martin Francis Campbell, and in this, our very first episode, we start at the very beginning and ask, what does it mean to be a charity in the internet age? Joining me to answer that question is Zoe Aimer, Director of Zoe Aimer Digital, Chair of the Digital Charity Code and all-round digital expert Zoe, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much, Martin. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me today. Brilliant. So I want to talk about the Charity Digital Code, but before we get to that, I was really interested to find out that you started your career as a lawyer. So I did just want to ask, how did you get from the work that you were doing then to your current role of helping charities with their digital aspirations? Oh, that's a great question, Martin. I very much admire your Miss Marple abilities <laughs> there. Um, so yes, I've been in the sector for about 10 years now, but before that, as you rightly say, uh, I was a lawyer. Um, I have to admit I'm a self-professed nerd. Uh, I was one of these people who had a burning urge to go to law school from quite a young age. Uh, and I guess there's a bit of crossover with digital there isn't there there's that technical ability that attention to detail um, there's a clear sense of process Uh, and I think it's given me um, a really long-standing interest in managing risk as well Mm. uh, because part of what we we do at the social enterprise I run we actually go and help uh, charities and some other non-profits um, deal with some quite risky situations such as sensitive issues around stakeholders and things like how to communicate um, about a, a terrorist attack, for example, right. you know, they would communicate about that on social and other digital channels. But yes, to answer your question, uh, so I was a lawyer for a few years actually specialising in a commercial and residential property, um, but there was part of me that was really, really interested in technology, and I joined the workforce just at this point when uh, technology is starting to become, become a much bigger part of how everyone worked, mm. um, and the very first law firm without naming names that I worked <laughs> in was in the city, uh, and I remember sitting uh, on the 26th floor one lunchtime, um, I worked in debt and equity capital markets which is bonds and shares in plain English um, and looking at a lot of the work that lawyers do a lot of it is about pattern recognition mm. um, and even then I absolutely was not a, a digital expert in any way at that point but looking at what lawyers were doing and thinking actually you could write a software program to do this or get robots to do it so even then I had a strong nascent interest in it and I could really see the potential um, so after I'd been a lawyer for a few years uh, I have to admit whilst I enjoyed it I like working with the clients, I got a little bit bored uh, and I've been doing yes. pro bono work with charities for a while and I thought I've just got to, to follow my heart wow. uh, and I ended up working with a charity called Laza for five years as their head of marketing um, and then they used to advise charities and other government bodies about technology. So I did that for five right. years and then set up my social enterprise um, five years ago and here we are. Here we are, wonderful. And how? Um, 
wise you were to spot that things were indeed going to be disruptive in, mm. disrupted in the legal sector, which, yes. which has certainly happened uh, from my experience elsewhere. A lot of those um, lower level tools have been automated. Mm. Um, I was seeing that uh, there was a contract review competition, wasn't there, a couple of weeks ago where a, a, an IT package was set against some top lawyers and managed to analyze the contract in, I think it was 98% accuracy in two minutes. And the lawyers didn't do anywhere near as well <laughs> as that. So yes, uh, I mean, how wise you were. And, and spotting that digital was gonna disrupt the legal profession was obviously giving you an insight into the potential for, ch for charities to be disrupted by digital and to be disruptive with digital, which I guess kind of brings us to, to where we are today. I should just, just explain there for a moment though, if we, if we do have any strange noises in the background, that's because we are hosted today by our, our friends at uh, Just Giving and Blackboard, who have some various events, it seems, going on throughout the building. <laughs> and so we do see people kind of traipsing past our window and making a little bit of noise, but uh, hopefully not, not too disruptive for, for our sound quality here. But let's bring us up to date. So I know you've been working um, over the last 12 months or so with organisations like the Charity Commission, the Cult Foundation, Lloyd's Digital Inclusion and, and the Office for Civil Society on the Charity Digital Code. And I think you started that back at the beginning of the year, didn't you? So tell me how that project came about. Yeah, so it's a really interesting one. Um, so as you might know, Martin, uh, last year, so back in 2017, there were a number of reports such as the Lloyd's Bank Charity and Business Digital Index and also the Charity Digital Skills Report, which we co-authored, uh, and a number of other reports as well, which showed that charities were starting to falling behind with digital and the knock-on impact on uh, loss of income, loss of staff motivation. Mm. Uh, and a number of organisations, some of whom you've just mentioned, were quite concerned about that. And we brought them together in a war room event uh, to look at some of the, the possible options. Uh, and we were very much much inspired by another situation where the charity sector realised that it needed to raise its game, it needed to set its own standards. So we looked to the charity governance code and the mm. way that it had established a really clear set of rules about how it could improve governance um, and what charities should do about them. Um, and quite a few people there thought that uh, this was a, a very good way to potentially tackle that issue. Uh, and the idea was tested on a number of different stakeholders. Uh, I was asked to chair it, uh, which is a great privilege and an honour, uh, and uh, we then looked to get the funding for it. And so yes, we've been working on it officially since uh, January of this year, and really lovely to see it all starting to come together. Brilliant, and of course the code launches today, so we're all very keen to see how that uh, turns out in, in reality. Having having had a sneak preview of the consultation version, as many charities have contributed to, there's certainly a lot in it there. And mm. I, I guess one of the initial challenges for a charity getting into this world is that um, digital can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, depending on you know background and experience. Mm. So how, how have you addressed that in the code? Have, have you managed to find a, a standard definition of digital that you can kind of bring everybody together around? Yeah, so in the, I believe in the background section at the start of the code, uh, we've actually used the uh, co-op definition of digital. And this is a test of my memory now. 
now, um, but I believe it's something along the lines of applying the culture, processes and, and behaviours of the internet age to meet your audience's raised expectations. And I think that's absolutely key, uh, because sometimes I look at definitions of digital, it's just about the channels and the tools, and obviously those are important, but sometimes we lose touch with what our users, our supporters, our beneficiaries really want. Mm. And that has to be the absolute starting point with digital, as, as you know very well. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I know we've spoken about this previously mm. was that um, the, and you touched on it there, saying that, you know, that the, um, the tools and whatnot of the internet era is that the uh, the internet era is, is now and now kind of moves on in time very quickly when it comes to what's the norm in, in terms of internet practice. So very much a moving target, mm-hmm. I guess, around uh, around what, what we're aiming for. So, I mean, how would you describe back in back in uh, January that the sort of state of play of the different charities that you started to engage with? Mm-hmm. Where, where were they coming from and what did they want to get out of kind of working on the code with you? Uh, I think the way that we have approached this challenge as a sector is is really unique to how the charity sector works. Um, so before we kicked off today, we were talking about how in a lot of industries, whether it's, it's retail, where we see how um, online clothing sales are dramatically outstripping uh, high street store sales, mm. and in banking, where we're starting to see more digital propositions, um, a lot of disruption and the, the successful people who benefit from that disruption, a lot of that has been left to, to market forces I think Uh, but actually the way we are approaching digital as a sector is very much about us all coming together uh, to really um, address and develop these standards together and for those standards to be rigorously tested Um, so as well as the organisations on the steering group uh, we've actually worked with more than 40 charities across the UK right from volunteer led community libraries in Sheffield uh, right up to well known household name charities who I won't name but all of them at very different stages of digital maturity mm. um, and they have been able to um, help and test and, and shape the code as well everything we learned through that process was really really valuable so my job as chair was very much to get everyone on, on the same page with how all of their individual contributions and insights were going to be really useful uh, and how together we were all going to help set these standards um, and move forward with digital as a sector it had to be a truly collective effort mm. so I'm trying to I'm trying to almost cast my mind back then and say you know that the sector um, still is in a situation as you say of sort of trying to catch up in, in many areas um, and back then of course was before some of the um, more critical um, press coverage that we've had this year of, of the charity sector um, before the, the, the recent sort of charities, charity commission um, uh, press around asking the charity sector to, to raise its game so it seems very timely to, to sort of kick things off then and very much a grassroots um, sort of rising of, of a need there rather than maybe reflecting on an external uh, impetus but you know given that sort of as you described so many people coming from different places you know what was your first step in in getting as you described getting everybody on the same page Mm. um well it was about setting out a really clear vision for what we wanted to achieve from the project uh so um looking at what our our theory of change should be so how we can help the charity set to be more confident with digital essentially Um, and I think the really key thing is about how you can use digital to achieve your charity 
charitable purpose and of course a big part of that is developing that trust and confidence with your stakeholders so however brilliant the work that you do as a charity it's so important to be seen as relevant um, and digital is, is clearly very important in helping you be seen as um, on the button and really in touch with how your stakeholders want to communicate uh, so uh, there's a small local charity who I've started to advise pro bono where they have to do a lot of fundraising and um, they're entirely dependent on that income stream uh, they ran a, they planned a very big fundraising event uh, but because they hadn't looked at how people who couldn't get to the event could donate through digital channels uh, they actually had to cancel the event ultimately and they lost money on it right and it was is a big part of their remit and their charitable purpose to actually fundraise for various reasons um, so it's absolutely vital I think relevance is something that perhaps we, we don't talk about as much but it's it's really important I think for increasing that public trust and confidence and building very strong relationships with our supporters donors and other stakeholders mm. so it, it sounds like the scenario you described there was one where the sort of digital element the online element was was not perhaps thought of as a core part of the project early yes. enough is that a common theme that you've found amongst the organisations that have contributed to the code? Um, it's certainly something which I have come across uh, in my day job and also part of the user testing as well. I mean, I'm sure you've seen this in, in your work as well, where digital gets brought in later on. It's seen as the wrapper that people put around things at the end of the project rather than being absolutely core. Cool. Mm. Um, so I absolutely think it's something that needs to be factored in right at the start yeah. uh, so how are we going to reach our audience in particular how are we going to use these channels and what do they want how can we make this truly relevant and really hit home with them yeah that, that really does resonate I, I think um, I mean I spent a couple of years out mm -hmm. of the charity sector recently and, and what was quite interesting there was that I was building a product and it was in a in the context of being a digital startup, but we didn't think of it so much as being a digital product. It was just a product, mm -hmm. and you could you could engage in that product via a number of channels, and the experience was um, kind of delivered through those channels. But it wasn't dependent on whether you were a, a digital customer or a non-digital customer, or whether you visited the website or got the email. You were just a subscriber of the product. Um, do you, do you think that's the kind of thinking that the charity sector needs to adopt in order to really engage with digital? Yes, interesting. So um, a journalist contacted me recently and said she wanted to have a look at all these charity websites and to really understand what best practice was. Mm. And I was saying, have a look at what some of the retailers are doing. Um, so organisations, you know, companies like Misguided or ASOS, it's really interesting when you go to their homepages because there's, there's actually very little on them. They have a really clear sense of exactly what users want uh, and they're very, very disciplined and focused about keeping those options as, as clean and simple as possible mm. whereas I think sometimes you go to the average charity website homepage and there's quite a lot of stuff on there um, you can see how the drafting may potentially have got a little bit political with a small yes. p yes. Um, and uh, I, I think it's it's really important that we look to other sectors and to see what we can learn from them mm. but also it would be great if through the code and the standards get raised uh, people start to look to us as a sector and see how we're doing some mm. good things as well and there are some great examples of, of best practice out there definitely yeah no that's interesting and that, that does echo some of the work that I'm doing um, which very much adopts the, the, the principles of the code 
um, in, in World Vision where we're looking at our, our marketing and, and understanding that the ultimate aim of our marketing journey is to, to get someone to a certain point where they may subscribe to a, a proposition and may become a child sponsor, for example, but that the technique of simply asking for that at the beginning is is a sales technique rather than a marketing technique and actually the way that we're used to being dealt with as consumers is much more subtle than that in in every other area so we've it's been interesting actually it's been an interesting challenge because it's very tempting to look at the sector and say you know we're competing against XYZ charity so as a child sponsorship charity we might look at the other child sponsorship charities plan and and um, compassion and say you know our, our customers if you like if we took commercial terms are, are making that choice but then when we go into it we realize that there aren't actually a, a, an overwhelming majority of people who are getting to the point of oh I want to make a charitable donation to a particular cause now I'll choose which cause mm -hmm. so we're not saying well do I want to give to the RSPB or to um, you know to, to guide dogs or you know even even organizations in the same sector by the time we've made that decision we've already engaged with one charity haven't we through their through their materials through their proposition through often through their online material so exactly. that comparison with um, and on, you know, who are we really competing with? And this is this is something that I've kind of floated internally, but I'm not sure that that we really understand what this means. Is that we're competing with the BBC and Netflix and the National mm -hmm. Geographic and the other places where people go when they want to be interested and they want to to learn and they want to show that they care and be invested. And, is that that the kind of thinking that, that that you think we need to adopt? Oh, very much so. Yeah, it was fascinating actually because earlier this year we were working with a youth charity. I, I won't name, but they were amazing, uh, and we did a digital benchmark for them. And they deliberately asked us to look at what some of those retailers who, who target young consumers were doing on digital. Mm. Uh, and it was so refreshing because quite often it's me who has to push to look at that stuff. But actually, they were really aware of it right from the outset mm. and they were saying look we know that we're effectively competing for the attention uh, yes. of these young people with these retailers and they've really invested in, in their content so what can yes. we do where can we partner with these people what do they have that, that they don't mm. uh, so that in itself was a really fascinating process yeah yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I, I know the, the definition that you, you referred to at the beginning is this, this idea that, that digital is the uh, the combination of the, the technologies, the practices, the culture and the mm -hmm. business models of the internet age. And I think it's really easy for us to focus on the technology, isn't it? And, yes. and say, yes, we've got the tech, we've got you know, a decent email system and a great website, so, so we're digital. And actually, when we look at our true competitors, we understand that their business model is completely different from yes. what we thought it was in the way that... You know, Netflix competed with Blackboard, uh, with, with Blackboard, <laughs> slip of the tongue, uh, with, with um, Blockbuster, not through offering the same thing in, a, in an online way, but by having a different business model. So choice is more important than having the recent Blockbusters there. And it was the new business model that, that actually took them down. I think with, um, with the charity sector, we, we I haven't seen good examples of here's a new digital business model. Um, we're, we're, we seem to be on the cusp of that. So I guess it's an exciting time for me to see yeah. what's going to be that next big step on digital. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I can think of a few organisations at the moment who are definitely evolving. Um, 
but yeah absolutely that's what I'd like to see that kind of really radical thinking yeah. going back to your core purpose your why you exist and then reconfiguring the organisation around it so you can really play to your strengths and make the most of your opportunities. Um, and to be honest, I think the only true example I've seen of that to date would be Scope. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we talked about a few weeks ago where they effectively pivoted from being um, a social care and education organisation to um, an advocacy and campaigning one, all mm-hmm. because they know their, their true skills uh, is, is about campaigning for the rights of, of people who have disabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd like to see more of that really bold and courageous thinking and I hope the code will encourage charities to do it. Mm. Brilliant. From what you know of of the code and the the charities you've spoken to so far, what do you think are the biggest challenges that organisations face when they try and get engaged with digital? I think the biggest challenge is about leadership. Uh, If I had to replace the code with just one word written on a poster, it would definitely be leadership. Uh, This is what I hear from uh, quite a lot of organisations. I think if your CEO gets it, your chair gets it, and you have someone leading on digital, whatever your size of organisation, that is a a glorious position to be in, Uh, but a real rarity. And I think the turning point always comes when you have at least one senior person who is prepared to, to really drive things forward and just has a very clear idea of where digital could take your organisation um, and how it could achieve your purpose. And, and I think that's that's basically what they had at scope, to be really honest. Um, really clear thinking about where they were going and how they could better achieve what they were set up to do in the digital age. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And how do you think, you know, an organisation that's starting out and really wants to, to build that leadership in, maybe they've got some good leadership, how does an organisation measure its progress you know, against the code or against um, j- j- just what it wants to achieve in the digital arena? Yeah, of course. So um, uh, I know that there are a number of organisations who are developing some tools, uh, which, which we may touch on later. Uh, I think a really good way to do it in, in addition to that uh, is to do a digital skills audit. Uh, quite often people focus on what the, the main staff workforce are where they skills are with digital but I think bring everyone in you know take Mm. it to your senior management team take it to your board as well um, and be equally rigorous about what you ask them Uh, and I think it's also where you have to closely involve HR as well so I was reading something on McKinsey last week about how the most successful digital transformations are generally when uh, the HR team have been involved uh, and they're able to look at building digital into job descriptions uh, into um, the, the sort of appraisal process and you can do these things in a way that doesn't feel alienating um, to people it's really about developing their skills and how they can progress in their future careers wherever they end up so I think it's very important that that ask is positioned in the right way and you build the confidence of of staff whether they're leaders whether they're junior people so that they realize this is something that's achievable and they can do Mm, no, that's really useful. And you also mentioned ju- just a few minutes ago about some of the experience of, of looking at the commercial sector mm-hmm. and looking at those those new developments. What would be your advice for a charity that really wants to get some of that expertise from the commercial sector? Are there any models that you've seen that work particularly well to do that? Yeah, so one of my favourite ones is I'm a really big fan of the Wayfinder app, uh, which I believe was set up by uh, Royal London Society for the Blind uh, in partnership with, I think it was Google, 
Google and Microsoft uh, and effectively they had this idea, Royal London Society for the Blinded, about um, helping people who are visually impaired navigate their way around cities and public transport but they knew that they uh, needed the tech expertise to do it uh, and they partnered with those two tech companies in order to develop it. Um, and it was interesting because I was chairing a panel with the CEO of um, RLSB I think it was last year and he was saying that it's actually had a really positive quite dramatic impact on their culture as a charity just seeing how these tech companies worked mm. and how they're agile and how they learn for a failure um, has really helped uh, his team start to develop the right um, behaviours and values and how they, they tackle digital disruption so I thought that was very interesting in itself and it sounded like a, a very positive project where everyone was very clear about what they were bringing to table and what they're trying to achieve and I think that's occasionally where these partnerships don't always work out in the way that they could do so lovely to see a really positive mm. example there so it sounds like a, a partnership really focused on learning yes rather than exactly. one that's a, sort of more of a brand or a csr type um, kind of marketing exercise no that's, that's exactly that's really, really meaningful yeah, yeah where everyone gets something out of it yeah brilliant Excellent. So, I mean, we, we touched briefly earlier on then about how an organisation might get started with the code, sort of see where it's at today. So, and you, you kind of mentioned that there are a number of tools available, um, lots of charity indexes and, and things that organisations may already be engaged with, like the Lloyds one that you mentioned. Um, so, we, we're, we're launching today to, to go with the code, a quick assessment tool at, at um, digitalcollective.org.uk, which I hope will be just our contribution to, to organisations trying to engage with the code and seeing how it works. But what would be the other starting points that you'd say, you know, the very first thing you need to do is, is have a look here and, and take some steps? So um, the number one thing which we're asking people to do, and this is exactly what um, my board did actually when the Charity Governance Code came out, uh, was just to get it on the agenda as your next senior management team and also board meeting. And I think just the exercise of getting everyone around the table and just saying, look, where do you think we are in relation to the best practice in this? Because we've got best practice in there for both large and small organisations. Um, just running a really short session on that will be really illuminating and you'll learn so much about what your colleagues see as your strengths and also areas for improvement. And then obviously to develop from that um, what things you can build on, what what's successful and, and how you can develop that further so I think that's a, a very good starting point and of course there's lots in there to uh, challenge your thinking as well there is a bit of a stretch even for organizations who are doing stuff very effectively mm. um, but also to validate your thinking as well so I'm sure that many of us all of us in fact who work in digital have had moments when we felt a little bit like we were banging our head against a brick wall yes. and we've all had those uh, slightly challenging conversations with colleagues but I guarantee for every single one of those conversations there'll be something in the code that you can point to and say no actually um, the charity commission and all these other organizations and all these charities across the UK have been involved in the user testing you know it's here it's best practice yeah. um, so you know let's consider um, how we can can meet those standards and if not what would our reason be to not meet those standards yeah. so that hopefully will get some really fruitful conversations going about how you can do digital even better great 
So that's how we as charities can engage with the code and, and take that forward in the year ahead. I guess the other question is where are you going to take the code over the next 12 months into year two? What are your plans? Uh, so we are looking to secure funding for year two at the moment. Uh, the code is, is uh, where we're at now with the code is very much the beginning of the story rather than end. This is a digital thing as, as you will know digital products are never truly finished. They have to keep iterating and raising their game. Um, so we hope if we're able to secure funding for year two that we will be able to create some more resources, we'll be able to get out there and partner with people uh, on events, uh, help to build digital capacity across the sector. We will have to do that in partnership with lots of the other great digital initiatives which are starting to um, be developed across the sector itself. I don't think we should be doing this in a silo at all. Mm. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Um, we are very, very keen to build on this, uh, raise awareness of the code, help get it adopted across the sector um, and encourage more charities to get the most from digital. Brilliant. So if I can summarise then from what I've taken away from that, I'm very very struck by some of the things you said, getting started by assessing where you are, having that code to, to start the high level conversation around where are we against this best practice and if, if we're not where we think we should be, how we're going to get that moving. Um, and then I'll take away, maybe this is a post-it note that I need to have on my desk, which is leadership. It's all about leadership and, and being able to, to actually point as this is something that's really important from the top down in an organisation. Absolutely, absolutely. I think we all need that uh, post-it note on our desk, don't we? We do. Myself included. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Well, that's where we're going to wind up the show today. Uh, before I do, I'd like to say a huge thank you, Zoe, for being on the show. Thank you for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Next time on the Digital Collective podcast, I'm going to be talking to Damon Harding from the Digital Works Group about his experience of building digital transformation in a leading NGO. So I hope you can join me for that. Until then. This is the Digital Collective podcast. The Digital Collective podcast is sponsored by Hubbub Fundraising. Follow the Digital Collective online at digitalcollective.org.uk.